Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Performing Arts, a podcast from the New Books Network. I'm Andy Boyd. My guest on today's program is Yvonne Rayner, dancer, filmmaker, choreographer, and author of the new book, Revision. Yvonne, welcome to the program. Um, I'd love to talk to you a bit about your biography. Were you a dancer as a child? Mm, uh, My mother sent me to uh, a tap and acrobatic school, and I was so embarrassed at my limitations, and uh, uh, I didn't take to it, and she... fortunately allowed me to drop out. (laughs) (laughs) I I heard in an interview that your parents were, uh, I don't know if they were anarchists, but that they were associated with some kind of far left uh, anarchist type uh, folks. What was it like growing up in that kind of a milieu? Uh, Well, my father was born in Italy and uh, uh, in his very early 20s, he arrived at Ellis Island and uh, gravitated to the West Coast, where he evidently knew some Italians uh, and uh, and anarchists. He came from, uh, in the old country, I think his parents were socialists of some kind. So uh, there was quite a large group of Italians in North Beach, uh, in San Francisco, who were uh, radicals. And uh, they sent, uh, yeah, during the Second World War, uh, they sent uh, packages, and my father did too, uh, to uh, their Italian relatives and friends. And uh, uh, I even heard rumors that they would send uh, bottled shit to Mussolini. I don't know whether this is <laughs> true or not. Um, anyway, there were all kinds of socialist, uh, a, a social event uh, for fundraising and, um, and uh, gossip and uh, um, with these uh, friends that, that were friends of my parents from uh, my very earliest days. My my early memories uh, is are of going to picnics and uh, and to dances later on uh, associated with this group. Yeah, I, it sort of reminds me of uh, of uh, Vivian Gornick a bit. How kind of her experience being a red diaper baby primed her in a way to become a, 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 a active feminist later on in her life. She kind of had a sense of what it meant to be a politically engaged person. Did you feel like there was something similar going on with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was geared to be sympathetic to feminists, to uh, radical politics of one kind or another, uh, and and to uh, 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 radical reworking of uh, aesthetics and when I became a dancer and choreographer. Yeah. Or so would you a say radical it's... challenging, you might say, of of uh, previous uh, uh, forebears in my profession. Yeah, how, talk a little bit more about that. How do you did you feel like your dance and your choreography was kind of a, a break with earlier choreographers? Well, it started in the Cunningham uh, uh, milieu with John Cage, of course, as a mentor of sorts. Uh, uh, there were those of us who studied and were already dancing in uh, Merce Cunningham's company. And uh, and at a certain point, 
John asked one of his uh, associates, Robert Dunn, to lead uh, some kind of workshop in the studio where Merce taught. And uh, so that was the the beginning of uh, talking about Cage's ideas and adapting them. And uh, it eventually led to the performances at Judson Church in 1962. And I started studying with Merce in, uh, in 60. So I was there for two years before this all started happening. Yeah, and, and Judson at the time had already been a space where uh, poets and, and theater makers had been presenting work. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. And Howard Moody was a very uh, uh, radical uh, person in his own right. Uh, I mean, they were um, counseling uh, anti-war uh, protesters and uh, during the Vietnam War and um they oh, they had all kinds of social uh, movements going. And uh, Al Carmines, who was the assistant uh, minister, uh, led all all the uh, aesthetic and art uh, uh, activities in in the church. And uh, he in around uh, oh, late sixty uh, one there were five of us from the Cunningham milieu who auditioned for him and uh, mm. uh, we needed a place to uh, rehearse and perform and some of us had already been uh, uh, shot down in, in the more traditional uh, um, dance milieus. I mean, I, you know, I remember auditioning for uh, a group that was at the 92nd Street Y and uh, uh, with some of my cohorts, Steve Paxton and uh, um, others. And um, we were all um, shot down. We, they didn't like what we did. And uh, so uh, the, the, I had been going to events at the church, uh, the Judson Poets Theater uh, that took place regularly and uh, produced things for in the balcony of the church. And so uh, Al Carmines uh, was later to say, well, I didn't quite know what I was doing, what I was looking at, but uh, um, uh, I, I felt it was interesting. And so he let us in and we had a place to meet once a week as a workshop that was open to anyone who wanted to come and uh and anyone who put on work showed work in the, that situation was put on the program and the first pro, uh dance event took place in July of 1962 I think yeah so th this word minimalism has often been applied to the Judson dance uh, scene, but this is a label that you've kind of pushed back against, um, yeah. not, not the least because, you know, there were hundreds of dancers and choreographers associated with Judson. So it's hard to kind of come up with any one aesthetic label that, uh, that, that could group them all together. But what were some of the things about the Judson scene that kind of differentiated it from other dance going on in the city at the time? Well, uh, to begin with, minimalism is a misnomer. I mean, it was just one aspect of, of what went on there. I, I mean, Steve Paxton and I 
uh, he did a walk-in dance and I did a running dance. And uh, But there were all kinds of things. There were musicians, uh, uh there were uh, there were ballet dancers who uh, uh, were trying out things. Uh, I mean, uh, it was a milieu that, that uh, was as varied as, as one could imagine. But uh, the dominating uh, influences, I think, were John Cage and uh, um, and those of us who had. Uh, researched further it went back to data and uh and surrealism i would say um but people were combining their their training or uh avoiding it as the case may be uh, um uh in all kinds of ways so there was i there was no one um definition that applied to to the whole group uh and uh, uh yeah i've had to put that uh label of minimum minimalism down uh for all these years it's uh but yeah a, a lot so much of the work flew in the face of of our previous training uh which in my case was martha graham uh and and ballet and although uh, perhaps I was uh, more eclectic than a lot of people, uh, including everything I had learned, include and also uh, my uh, uh, objections to what I had learned. Um, but uh, there were all kinds of uh, 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 um, I, there was uh, oh, the sculptor uh, Ross. Um, who brought in these huge uh, con- uh, st- uh, structures, and uh, you know, we uh, we invited so many different kinds of people, including uh, visual artists and sculptors, and uh, everyone was trying out things that they felt had not been explored before. So, the, the, if there was any one uh, generalization about that period and those people. It was about expanding uh, what dance uh, and previous modern, so-called modern dance had uh, uh, excluded from uh, the possibilities of uh, of, uh, of dance. Yeah, I, I mean the the term postmodern uh, uh, was applied very early to uh, our efforts. Um, one of the things that shows up a lot in your reflections on kind of what you were against is this word illusionism. Um, you know, what does that word refer to uh, in the context of dance, and why did you want to avoid illusionism in your own work? Well, I I think that was a direct uh, a rejection of Martha Graham and uh, her um impersonations in terms of Greek mythology and uh, we didn't uh, we were interested yeah in in escaping those uh, restrictions of storytelling and and aspirations you know to uh, um, like the very gaze of the dancer was implicated in our revolt uh, the the upward uh 
aspiring gaze of the modern dancer uh, was replaced by a, uh, a kind of neutral, uh, head-on uh, look at the audience. I, I mean, that was uh, adopted and uh, from Cunningham's teaching. And and so um, we, uh, yeah, I, I, must be, I should speak for myself. Uh, I felt I was... Uh, uh, combining uh, uh, all kinds of things, including my balletic training. I did a, for instance, there was a duet I did with Tricia Brown uh, in one of those early concerts where I, uh, we wore uh, tights and and uh, push Hollywood vasseret push-up brassiers, and I performed <laughs> a ballet adagio I had learned in class, ballet class. And while well, Tricia did bumps and grinds, so um, <laughs> we were, yeah, we were trying all kinds of things and not uh, always excluding the past, but incorporating mm-hmm. it in new ways. And uh, the term radical juxtaposition, which uh, I use even to this day, uh, it came from uh, an essay by Susan Sontag, who was. Uh, you know, going to happenings and uh, she became one of the main theorists of uh, all the 60s uh, theatrical and uh, um, art movements. Um, So uh, another thing that characterized your early work was the use of text in juxtaposition with dance. How, how did that start? And was that considered unusual at the time? Uh, I'm sorry, your voice is fading. I, I didn't hear the oh, beginning sorry. of that. Uh, the question was about the, the use of text in your work. Uh, spoken text, text adapted uh, text. Yeah. 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 Was that considered unusual? And what, what was kind of your inspiration behind that uh, technique? Well, from what I've learned, although I've never seen seen very early uh, Cunningham work. Uh, He spoke while he uh, danced in one of his early pieces. Um, uh, Yeah, in my very first dance, I made sounds and it was very, it was very minimal, so to speak. I, I said the grass is greener while the sun is yellower, or something like that. Uh, and you know, eventually, uh, I felt that uh, that language uh, could um, more encompass my interests, my political interests, uh, even than mo- the movement I was involved in, uh, and this made me turn to film by the middle 70s. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I we told, uh, I'm in an early evening-length work, I, uh, I made a series of solos uh, in which the dancers spoke, told the story that had nothing to do with the movement uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the relation of the language to the music, uh, to the movement rather, was uh, uh, completely accidental. Uh, so I, I was interested, again, this is a form of radical juxtaposition, language and uh, dance. Well, and that's mm-hmm. a very Cunningham idea too. It's, I mean, Cunningham would often choreograph dances where the movement had no relationship to the music. So you're doing a similar thing just with text. Yeah, um, and also with dance. 
Yeah. Right. Um, but that, that came from Cage, you know, Cage's mm-hmm. idea of, of chance, uh, throwing dice, uh, consulting the I Ching. Yeah. Uh, how early did feminism influence your choreography, and, and how did that influence take shape? Uh, I wouldn't say I was very conscious of feminism uh, while I, as as such, uh, as a movement, while I was still dancing. Uh, mm. Although it was feminism that uh, supported my transition to film, but. I was interested in challenging some of the um, what I felt were uh, outdated relations of uh, or conventional relations of men and women. So rather than a man lifting a woman, I, uh, I'm, I introduced uh, um, lifting of, of people by women uh, and men. I mean, I, mi- I mixed up that that tried and true uh, balletic duet uh, tradition. Um, so I, w- I was aware of challenging my dance uh, precursors, uh, including Cunningham, but uh, it didn't take on a, a political resonance until I began to get into film. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk more about that transition to film. I mean, so uh, since you're fading again, what's going on? Oh, yeah. I don't know. So, um, yeah, there. So, okay, so I'd like, I'd like to talk more about your transition to film. And, uh, and, and essentially, you kind of left dance for 25 years and devoted that chunk of, of your life to film, which is quite surprising. Uh, a, a very unusual career uh, trajectory. So, why did you become so attracted to film uh, sort of instead of dance for such a long time? And then why did you return to dance in the late 90s? Well, to answer the first part of your question, um, I had been exposed to experimental film even before I coming to New York and uh, becoming a dancer. Uh, I, uh, Maya Darren and Stan Brackage, the the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco, uh, regularly showed uh, experimental film, and uh, I was exposed to all of that. Um, so uh, I continued going to film while I was uh, when I began to study dance. I went to the anthology film uh, screenings in New York and. Uh, so uh, when I began to think about uh, expanding uh, my ideas into some art form, uh, uh, film seemed to be a natural uh, place to go rather than, say, uh, uh, playwriting or something like that. Um, so what led me out of uh, dancing, I, I, I felt that film could incorporate a, a specific political and uh, emotional ideas uh, uh, more uh, in, in greater detail uh, than my dancing. I never did pantomime or, or my I was interested in abstract movement and it had no uh, relevance or, or most of its relevance was to my precursors in, in dance history. So film seemed the natural uh, uh, place to go once I began to expand 
um, and and think about what would best uh, the vehicle that would best combine uh, some of my movement ideas and and uh, political and uh, uh, literary ideas. So yeah, so that led to writing film scripts and yeah. And and some of the techniques that you explored in your choreography are still present in your films, like this idea of well, the characters are the, yeah, uh, the characters. Uh, I wasn't interested in in uh, conventional narratives, uh, uh, but yet there are characters of some kind, and they were dancers. So I was still interested in dance, and so I used. Uh, uh, some of my dance ideas. Uh, um, the first film was called Lives of Performers, and uh, uh, the characters are nominally performers, although there's no sync sound, and uh, you see them talking to each other, but uh, there's no lip sync in the whole dance. There's a voiceover and, and intertitles and subtitles. Uh, that kind of tell a story or comment on what you're you're seeing, you know. Um, but it wasn't until my third film that I actually got into uh, uh, social and political issues. In uh, um, the third one, Christina Talking Pictures, it was about uh, uh, oil tankers and uh, the... Uh, the destruction when they went aground and uh, um, relation destructive influence on the environment and et cetera. And then after that, there was all kinds of issues. Then when feminism really took hold of me by the late uh, 70s and into the 80s, uh, uh, feminism became an issue and uh, race also um, uh, yeah so or racism rather and uh, uh, so uh, that leads up to leaving film uh, yeah by I guess that would be your next question right <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yeah. How did your experience as a filmmaker change your approach to choreography when you returned to choreography? Uh, it didn't, really. Um, I returned to choreography, um, uh, with, you know, I, I had this, uh, I continued to practice and to do a, keep my body intact uh, and practice what became my uh, best-known dance called Trio A. Um, and uh, there was a Judson Church benefit, and I was asked to do something in, uh, oh, the late uh, late uh, 90s, or, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Pat Catterson, who had studied with me at uh, uh, early on and learned Trio A, and... Uh, there were others who had the the original people who had performed the dance, um, and we we did a version of Trio A uh, the benefit, and uh, turned out that Mikhail Varishnikov was in the audience. He had deliberately come. He already had this idea of inviting me to make a dance for his company. Uh, 
and approached me uh, shortly after this performance. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I made a, a dance called, uh, uh, what was it called? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> for his White Oak Dance Company. And that launched me back into film. I was very uh, grateful because I, I felt more, I'm a technological idiot and, uh, and filmmaking with, uh, dealing with laboratories and all the technicalities, uh, drove me crazy. I never, uh, uh, got any better at it. And, uh, so it was like returning home and, uh, I was launched into, uh, working with, uh, professional dancers and, and choreography again, uh, and have been at it ever since. Um, I, of course, I, uh, I uh, uh, glommed on to uh, early dances. With, uh, I had extensive notebooks, and uh, um, unfortunately, a lot of those dances had disappeared because uh, we didn't record them. It was, we didn't think about the future. Uh, throughout the 60s, uh, there was very little documentation. Uh, but I, I managed to keep uh, resorting to some of the ideas and the specifics of uh, that early choreography and adding other elements. And uh, let's see, I've made about seven, eight dances since then and worked with the same people for almost 20 years, a group of six people. So, so I, I guess that must mean that now, since you returned to choreography, you've been choreographing for longer than you did in your first career as a choreographer, from the early '60s to the mid '70s. Yes, but I'm much less prolific. I, I <laughs> volume-wise, I, I was, uh, yeah, much more active back then. But I'm older now, so I, I <laughs> produce more slowly, and uh, yeah, yeah. And that brings us to your current book, Revisions, uh, which has a, a subtitle for the main, uh, the main essay or the main passage in the book called A Truncated History of the Universe for Dummies, <laughs> which is quite a title. Um, and it's attributed to this persona, Apollo Musaget. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Musaget, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, could you describe yeah. this persona and and kind of why you uh, wanted to write yeah. from this point of view? Uh, well, the history of this, which goes back about three years, uh, one of my dancers, uh, Emily Coates, uh, uh, embarked on her first choreographic uh, venture and asked me to play Apollo. Uh, Emily had danced with the Balanchine uh, New York City Ballet. And uh, this dance, uh, uh, this first venture of hers uh, revolved around uh, Balanchine's dance Apollo, which she uh, at one point in the performance, she describes how Balanchine dealt with a, a certain uh, a balletic uh, trope, uh, the pirouette. And she asked me to uh, play uh, a character, uh, the character Apollo, uh, for and do a five-minute improvisation of my own liking. And... Uh, and so I I thought about it and 
and uh, it was at uh, at um, was it at Judson or was that some other church? Um, yeah, it was at Judson, I think. And I threw these uh, red balls down from the balcony um, and uh, came down and made an entrance and uh, did this short lecture about uh, Apollo's observations uh, coming to Earth, and I even uh, then I I described uh, a little bit or in, embodied uh, some of these moves that Emily was try- explaining uh, uh, about, and uh, and that was the beginning. Uh, what year was that? Yeah, it was right at the beginning of the Trump uh, entering into presidential uh, posit- uh, politics, and so I was launched. Uh, uh, I was so enraged at this man. Mm-hmm. I felt I couldn't write. I, you know, I also have a career as a writer of sorts, and uh, I felt I, as myself, I, I couldn't. Uh, uh, I, I didn't. I couldn't justify uh, venting this rage as myself. So I took the. It took the form of uh, an extraterrestrial god coming down and being appalled at what he sees is going on on our planet. And so it took off from there. And it's been uh, this uh, long-term enterprise. Um, There's another publication uh, coming out. Uh, I couldn't stop writing after revisions came out. And so... It goes on as I think as long as this guy is in power. Uh, so hopefully not uh, too much longer. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully not much longer. Yes. Yeah. So that that's the history of revisions. Yeah. Or, or of uh, that particular essay. Yeah. Um, and a big topic in the book is race and your ongoing efforts to understand why racism is so persistent in our society. And you wonder in the book if it's possible for white people to ever be anything better than permanently recovering racist. Um, I certainly wonder uh, that as well. Where is your thinking on that topic led you lately? Well, I speak for myself, of course. So I'm a, uh, what, what is it? Uh, a per- Could you repeat it? I forget my own I think expression. it's permanently recovering racist is the, is the phrase. In the permanently book. recovering racist, yeah. Uh, I, I call myself that because I have to, I come, you know, I have specific memories and some of them are in the voice of Apollo. Uh, um of my own upbringing uh, uh, in an all-white neighborhood, uh, and my my parents, who supposedly being uh, radical, uh, uh, they had the same racist ideas as uh, as uh, more conservative, more politically conservative people. I, I mean. It's amazing. The only black people I ever came in contact with as a child was uh, my mother uh, had a black uh, housekeeper come in once a week. Uh, and my mother's uh, comments about her were were really aspersive and, uh, and racist. Uh, that was her background. Uh, growing up in a lower income, uh, a Jewish 
environment and uh yeah so i i feel that's in my bloodstream and it's something that pops up in very unexpected ways uh at this late date uh, in, at the end of my life so it's something that as a as middle class white people we have to be aware of uh uh, you know, that we're not immune. We can't uh, congratulate ourselves as being tolerant uh, as we would like to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. Uh, one of the things you write about in connection with this is uh, the, the general whiteness of the Judson scene. And you write yeah. that, you know, it wasn't any conscious uh, decision to exclude dancers and choreographers of color, but there also wasn't a conscious effort to include uh, a more diverse set of right. collaborators. Could you talk a little bit more yeah. about your reflections about that issue? Yeah. Um, well, I could defend, and I have uh, publicly, if you read the footnotes of that, of revisions of, of that essay, um, we didn't go out of our way to uh, invite anyone to those workshops that pre- preceded the Judson concerts. Um, the, it was a fact that black dancers were gravitating to the Alvin Ailey Company and to Broadway musicals where they could make a living uh, and get paid and have work. And we didn't expect to, for 10 years, uh, we, we didn't, uh, I, I didn't get a grant in, until I was working for 10 years, and uh, everyone uh, in that uh, Judson situation, uh, they had part-time jobs, and, and uh, um, we didn't think about making a living from our, our preferred profession. So we weren't thinking about it, even though uh, uh, racism was in the certainly in the daily papers with the uh, voting rights and the the buses going down to uh, uh, the south to register voters and uh, all, all of that. Uh, but uh, that kind of politics was not foremost in our consciousness, and it was a lack. I I. I'm the first to admit it, but um, so yeah, it was mainly a white uh, a white group. Yeah, um, what can I? What else can I say? Yeah, <laughs> sure, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and that seems like a reckoning that a lot of people in the arts are having lately. Kind of the ways that you know our kind of unconscious biases, or maybe just our our lack of being consciously anti-discriminatory have kind of shaped our uh, our canon, really. Yeah, uh, but uh, things are changing, and uh, I think uh, Black Lives Matter is a very important part of that change, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, One of the things that I find interesting about this project is it is so contemporary. It is, I mean, it's pub- it was published earlier this year, and contains your reflection through this Apollo uh, character of events that are going on this year. <laughs> so it is it is kind of an, an up-to-the-minute almost report on our contemporary moment. Why did you feel that you wanted to uh, kind of reflect on this moment as it was happening? Uh, 
I just kind of fell into it. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know what else to say about that, how it, uh, well, it coalesces with what's going on now. I, I couldn't, right. uh, it was an inevitability uh, uh, given my, uh, my current uh, political uh, propensities, you might say, and what's going on. I read the Times like a maniac, you know, and uh, <laughs> other periodicals, and uh, um, uh, and I felt I I just had to write about these things, but uh, take on this fictional persona, mm -hmm. uh, whom I gave permission to vent, and I couldn't, as I said before, I couldn't give myself that same permission as uh y r you know um and it it seemed important and and you was uh, or or the, the the publisher rather uh, felt that urgency also uh yeah uh and uh we live in such i don't know the combination of the virus and uh, the protests and what else? Uh, it's all coming together uh, in exposing the the failures uh, of this country in dealing with huge social inequities. I mean, that's all I can say. And uh, how yeah. they've gotten away with it, and we've gotten away with it all this time is baffling. But uh, uh, like the virus is uh, uh, affecting um, people of color more than white people. I mean, that's what has brought a lot of this to the fore. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is it in uh, revisions or in uh, no in in the uh, in the subsequent uh, in the piece that's coming out? A much shorter is it'll be like a pamphlet. Uh, yeah. Apollo comes down with the virus. He 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 thought he was <laughs> invulnerable and uh, spending all this time. He's finally uh, come down with it, and he's amazed. He thought as a god. <laughs> It, 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 it is kind of the sign-off of Apollo's involvement because he's gone into yeah. quarantine and he's going to go back to Olympus. So I'm on my own now. <laughs> I mean, that does seem like such a potent metaphor for our country that we we believe that we were immortal and what this last year has shown us is all yes. of the ways yes. that our society has completely yes. come up short. Yes, yes. Uh... Even those of us who considered ourselves radical before, mm -hmm. uh, we have to face new inequities, yeah, and the uh, uh, severity, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing time. I, I, it's, uh, I would like to live longer than I know I'm going to live to see how it all comes out. But uh, Oh, and climate yeah. change, that's another thing, yeah. Right. Yeah. Lest we forget. The, yeah, lest we forget the predations of uh, the corporations that have uh, enabled that and, and created all the social, more, you know, in, increased the social imbalances. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. God. Uh, I don't know. It's, um, yeah. 
But that's one of the things, I mean, you just said, I don't know. And I feel like that's one of the things that I found very refreshing about this book is that it, you don't pretend to have the answers to these problems. Oh, you're, ab- you're right there with us. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Oh, God. I mean, I could never go into politics. Uh, and I'm not even a good speaker about these issues, you know, because I, as you can see, I... At this age, especially, I stumble over language. So in writing and voting and uh, with uh, little money I can contribute to uh, worthy causes, uh, these are the limits of of my uh, abilities now. And I, yeah. I'd like to ask you uh, a question about kind of your place in the canon. And I think it's fair to say that, that you are, you know, one of the canonical uh, postmodern choreographers. Uh, and you started out as a choreographer very much in rebellion against the canon that you had received in your training. So do you feel like now that you kind of entered the canon, you your relationship to those uh, choreographers and dancers who came before you has changed at all? Or do you still feel like you're sort of... Uh, throwing stones at the monolith of, uh, you know, Martha Graham or, or, or whoever. Oh, God, I, I hope I'm not uh, uh, immortalized like Graham. <laughs> I, I would like to kind of disappear into the, uh, the uh, whatever. Um, I don't think that's very likely, Yvonne. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but people care about your work a great deal. <laughs> I hope my work will last, but not uh, in terms of this uh, uh, mythology of a personality. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I'm known as a rather reclusive person, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't like, more and more, I don't like to be in public. Uh, yeah. Um, but... Um, yeah, the work is there, and I, you know, I have had some very devoted, some very wonderful people who are devoted to my work, and they'll carry it on in one way or another. Yeah, um, and I'm very grateful for that. I spoke a few months ago with Annie B. Parson of Big Dance Theater, and and she spoke of you as a, a big inspiration on her work. So. You know, certainly oh, your influence great. on a ne- on another generation of choreographers is, is very present. Yeah, yeah, I love I love their work. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. they're so great. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, I I was surprised to learn that the reissue of my first book, uh, work, you know that book. Mm-hmm. Um, it it has just sold two thousand copies. I'm amazed. Yeah. Um, and they want to bring out a, another uh, edition. So, yeah, uh, ideas go on. Uh, art goes on, yeah. Um, it's all very uh, curious. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, Yvonne Rayner, thanks so much for being on New Books and Performing Arts. I really enjoyed reading your uh, your newest book. 